Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's a beautiful day. Sun is shining. A few smiles. Someone's not smiling you next to them. Just slap them. Uh, okay, we are in a series. Thank you for being with us today. It's an honor. I thank Pastor John for what I consider a great privilege to speak to such wonderful people. And so we're uh, in the third week of the series, What God Cannot Do. Uh, if you've not heard the first two messages that Pastor John, please go online. They're tremendous messages about what God cannot do. Today, uh, I'm excited about this. The idea is God cannot do anything against his nature. Now, if you remember, Pastor John mentioned about God can't make a rock too big, he can't move. Do you remember that? That, and that was a theological question that bugged me. So I went online. I did all sorts of research. I wanted to know the answer. Anybody want to know the answer? All right. All of the study, everything that I came up with, here's the answer. God says it's a dumb question. <laughs> Actually, God, and you'll see today why, God cannot make a rock too big that he can't move. It's outside of his nature. I want you to read with me today. We're going to put it on the screen. So let's read it together. We're going to start today in Romans. All right, so if you'll follow uh, along, let's do this together. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has ever first given to him and has to be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Pretty good start out to the understanding that God is pretty big. God is pretty amazing. So let me give you this statement. God cannot do anything or God can do anything in accordance with his nature. Do you agree with that? God cannot do anything contrary to his nature. All right, and so today I'm going to try to help you understand parts of that. Uh, there are parts of his nature I won't cover today. Such examples are God cannot be tempted or God cannot tempt others with evil. God cannot increase or decrease in knowledge. God is just God. He can't be smarter. He can't be dumber, all right? And the last one, that, and, and one of many, but one that I wanted to focus on today, God cannot be independent from relationship. In all of creation, and all of the history, and all of our understanding of God, we have God beginning with a triunity, a triunity, all right? God the Father, Son, the Spirit, all right? They always have existed. They always have had relationship. And then when God wanted to share his image with us, he gave us man and gave man companionship. So God is always about relationship. So his nature is about holiness. He's always holy. His nature is about love. He's always love and these kinds of things, all right? We must relate to God in light of who he is, not just who we think or hope him to be. How many of you raised in the church? Raise a hand. Okay, some of you may not have been. Every one of you that raised a hand or even not raised a hand came to an understanding of who God is by religious training, by understanding of reading and knowledge. All of us have come to an understanding of God, who he is. Would you agree that all of us have some degree of misunderstanding of who God is? All right. I will tell you, I've changed in my understanding of God. The older I get, the more I've learned, the more I understand. And almost the more I know about God, the more I realize I don't know much. 
God is that amazing. God is gr- that is great. But the unfortunate thing is that what we think God to be or hope him to be has shaped the way that we lived our Christian faith. All right? Let me just ask you, how do you see God? Just in your mind right now, how do you see God? Is God loving? Is he fierce and just and holy? Is he, how do you see God? If you would have a conversation with people today, you'd enjoy different perspectives of how people see God. You'd have a lot of different viewpoints, all right? But the one thing I want to focus on today is one way that you really all need to see God. And this is the idea of the message. In his nature, God cannot lie. He cannot lie. We're not merely told that God never lies. We understand that it is impossible for God to lie. Do you understand how important that is? All right? How valuable it is that God does not lie. All right? In Titus 1-2, Paul is writing a young leader, Titus. He's on the island of Crete. It's a Greek island. And they're having struggles establishing this church. And the reason is that they see God, the God that Titus is preaching, uh, from a perspective of how they've seen gods. As you know, in Greek, there's the mythology of, of the Greek gods, Zeus, one of those. They grew up or they had the understanding that Zeus, all right, would manipulate women for relationships by lying to them. All right, and they saw the mythology of the Greek gods as people who would manipulate and lie. So Paul's writing to Timothy and he's giving him this verse saying, teach this to the congregation there in Crete. And he writes this, this truth, this truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God who does not lie promised them before the world began. He establishes three things there, eternal life, God does not lie because it is his promise. All right, all of us here struggle with our concepts of God and we get into trouble in our theology and our relationship because of those struggles. So then in Hebrews, God writes this. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Now, in here, there are two words that are important in this uh, scripture. Oath is basically this firm, defined statement, all right? And then promise is a commitment to an action. So in this verse, in this passage, we have God basically declaring an oath, I am that I am, and then he's telling us, I have the ability to carry this out. That's important. Anybody here ever had a promise broken to you? All right. God does not break his promises. All right. Now, um, okay, uh, I sanitize this, uh, but this is a term I've heard and maybe you've heard. Uh, in the South, I, I learned this term, okay? Now, I want to clear up something. People think I'm from Texas. I'm not. I'm not from the South. I'm a Colorado guy. I was raised here, but I went to college in Texas. I married Brenda, got married, lived there for many years, came back here, and then moved to South Carolina. So I got a lot of great words. Nancy always kind of gives me grief. She says, the Southern language doesn't use all the letters in the alphabet. I said, what do you mean? She said, you don't use G's. I'm going to a meeting. I'm fixing. By the way, that's a great word. Y'all is a great word. 
all right? So every time I talk, she says, you don't use a G. Why waste a letter? Seriously. <laughs> Meeting's good enough, right? You know what I'm saying, right? Anyway, but the idea here is that there's some great statements, all right? And, and some of you will identify and know this statement, all right? Don't write checks, your bank can't cash. Now, there's a not-so-nice version of that that I won't say today. I want to be back here next week, but anyway, uh, maybe some of you know what that statement is. But it means this, okay? All right? God has the authority and the ability to keep his promise. God cannot lie. And I think that's an important thing for us to know, and here's why. What does this mean to us today? Why is this important for us? First of all, <coughs> you can believe his word. Now, we teach in foundations. I see some of you guys came to foundations. We had a whole night, I want to take the time today, that we talked about the authenticity of the word of God. My friends, I'm telling you what, there is so much historical proof of the word of God and its authenticity. There are so much documentations, and I'm telling you what, there are people out there that will say to you, and they take one little thing and try to build this whole idea of the word not being relevant and real by just one thing, and people believe that, all right? If you take the whole, all right, how many have ever heard of Alexander the Great, Greek, okay? Do you know legitimately there's more historical proof of the existence of Jesus than Alexander the Great. There's more documentation, historical evidence of Jesus than Alexander the Great. But is Alexander the Great in your history books? Absolutely. But is there doubt about Jesus? There is an attempt to create a doubt. Listen, you've got to look at this whole amazing thing called the Word of God and you've got to realize what has brought that together. The most beautiful thing there, and we're going to talk about this through this message, at there, and Pastor John calls it the scarlet thread. From the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelations, there is a thread of Jesus throughout the whole thing. And it's all about Jesus. It is always the answer of Jesus. And the reason is, is that God from the beginning to the end has shown us the importance and the value of Jesus and what he means to us. All right? So let me ask you this. All right, I can give you all that evidence, all right? Uh, uh, several different authors throughout uh, several uh, uh, history of time frames, and it's all woven together in an amazing way. Is there some things that confuse me? Yes. How many ever confuse those things in the Bible? Sure. But do you know what? There are things that we may not understand, and Scripture's pretty clear that we may not understand. We see some of these things through a dark glass right now. But I'm telling you, the thread that goes throughout is very clear and very understandable. Let me just give you another example, all right? Uh, in a court of law here in our courts, how many witnesses would you think are necessary to prove a case? Any ideas? Todd, you're smart. Two. Two's a good number, Right? Wouldn't you say that if you went to a court of law with two witnesses to back up your claims of whatever, that you'd have a pretty good chance to get that thing resolved, right? Let me just tell you, think about this. Think about Jesus' death and resurrection. Think about the people that saw him and knew him, who understood what he was and who he was, who following his resurrection were willing to die for that truth. How many people do you know would be willing to die for a lie? Knowingly, willingly die for a lie. People die for something that they believe is true, but people do not die for something that is a lie. And so let me just tell you, you can believe in his word. We have record 
of more than 500 witnesses to the resurrected Jesus Christ. I'd take 500 into any court of law any day, and I would be convinced, all right? Now, another thing that I want to share with you, today we text. It's an instantaneous process. We email, all right? We do other digital means, all right? We write, all right? But mostly you have to understand in this time frame, in much of the Bible, it was oral tradition. You spoke of what happened and it was verified and proven by those that were there and would refute that. Have you ever thought you saw something or said something that, that you weren't sure about and somebody corrected you? Like your mother always does that. Okay, your, your wife, no, I didn't say your wife. Okay, uh, here's the reality, all right? They had to be very clear in their presentation of an oral tradition. They couldn't just put it down in an email. They had to be sure, and it was repeated clearly again and again and again to make sure it was written or, or spoken of right. Now, eventually you came in, all right? And, and even then, the idea of writing things was very meticulous and difficult, all right? Now, here's the truth. There are people that probably are struggling in their faith because you just don't know what God says. You have a very limited understanding of God. I'm gonna ask you a fun question. What if I told you today, you can only rip out, and I know it's a sin to rip out from the Bible, but let's say we'll let you have that sin. You can rip out one page of the Bible, just one. Think of your knowledge of the Bible, what page would you rip out? This is the only Bible you could carry the rest of your life, one page. You know what page you'd rip out, Eric? Any thought? Huh? Romans 8, good. Anybody else? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, isn't it? You're, you're also thinking, hmm, what's that story about that one guy? Yeah, I want that one. <laughs> anyway, you know, there's great stories. There's great truth. There's great things. And I was thinking, I asked myself that question. I would rip out the page that has John 3, 16. Everything that I need to know about God is in that page. Do you know John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed on him would not perish but have everlasting life. In there, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ in one verse. It means I have been a sinner and I am saved because of his punishment for my sin and because of that, I have eternal life. Man, that is good news. You know that page, you keep that page, you're going to be good. You may not understand Leviticus and all the numbers and all that stuff. You know, how many of you like Leviticus? I'm just curious. <laughs> Becca? Todd, you need to talk to your wife. She's the smart one. She's the smart one. Leviticus is painful. How many of you do the one-year Bible thing? I love it. I think it's a great thing. I hope you're doing that. I hit Leviticus and Numbers, and I'm like, oh, Lord, please show me. Give me rhema word. Give me something that I can see in this, all right? But here's the thing. If you're struggling understanding God because you're not spending time in the word, let me just say, get into the word of God. We have the greatest tools ever. Uh, I, I'm on version, and some of you are on version. We've got a group, uh, Noah and, and uh, uh, what's your name? Uh, <laughs> my good friend, <laughs> Andy. <laughs> We go way back. I know. <laughs> Golly. You know what? Does that ever happen to you? You know someone real well, you look at them, and you just can't think of their name. Anyway, he sat next to my wife. Uh, Sally? <laughs> Sorry. 
Anyway, uh, uh, we do you version, and there's so much. I read one this morning that was so tremendous. I almost would like to share it, but I won't. But it was so good, and we comment on that. You need to be in God's word to know what he says. And here's the unbelievable thing I want to say. You can believe in his word. What does it mean for you? The second thing, all of his promises are true. If you look at and you're into the word and you believe the word, you're going to see promises of God throughout that he has made. And they're all true. Now, I know there's a question that you may have. All right. You say, well, I look in scripture and God promised this, but it didn't happen. And you might be wondering, okay, really are all his promises true? Let me just say this. God's promises, all right, are two things. Some of them are conditional. Your eternal life is based on your response to God's promise. It doesn't come true for you if you do not receive that. Do you see what I'm saying? There were promises that he said, if you will do this, my nation, my people, Israel, if you will do this, here is my promise. And we see time and time again, they did not do that. God was not unfaithful. We were unfaithful, okay? But I also want to communicate to you that God's promises throughout are eternal. They are eternal. And they are amazingly true, all right? And when it seems that God isn't trustworthy or truthful, it's not God who lies, but you and I who might misunderstand. Or I want to give you a caution here. There are people that do not treat, teach the promises of God that are truthful. I'm going to tell you right now, they're, they're, all of us can be guilty and we have to be very careful. And I will tell you in our teaching team, in our executive staff, with our pastors, we talk about what truth is. We don't get off base on things that are out there. And there are things out there, folks, that are just nuts, okay? And the reality is, is people teach them and people believe them, all right? You gotta go back to the word of God. All of God's promises are true, all right? And then third, what does it mean for you? You can live with hope. This passage in Hebrews tells us that, first of all, God has the authority and the ability to make his word true. And guess what? We can say that we can live with hope. Because of what he says is true, it gives us hope. I've experienced in my life, and maybe you know folks that gave up on God because something happened bad in their life. A circumstance came about, and they said, I don't know if I can believe in God. He's not good. He let this happen. All right? And I understand that. Uh, I've been through things, but I will tell you this. God's word is true. He says that, and Pastor John talked about it, all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Our problem is we're seeing that in a limited time frame. If the good doesn't happen within days or weeks or months, We've decided then God isn't good. We have not experienced God because good things haven't happened to us. I will promise you this. Once we are in eternity and you can look back at your life, you're going to see over and over and over again how good God has been to you. How good God has been to you. We're so blessed with that. And so if you're struggling today because of your circumstances, I would presume that you don't believe in his word and you don't believe his promises are true for you. When you believe in God's promises, when you believe him, it will change your life. I've said this for many years. What you believe is more important than truth because you live off by what you believe. If, ah, uh, be careful. 
Some people believe some really wacky stuff, okay? I don't want to get into some of it because you're, maybe you're here. I don't know. <laughs> They're so far-fetched that, that it, I, I, I won't go there. But the thing is, is that sometimes people believe in stuff that, that, that literally 99.9% .9 of the population know that's a bunch of baloney. But because they believe it, they live that way. You know, at one time, all right, we had explorers that believed if you sail this ocean, you get to the edge and you drop off. Actually, some people still believe that. But we really do know that we have a world that's round and not flat. But if I believed that, I would never get in a ship and head out on a cruise, would I? It's like, okay, stop almost to the edge and then turn around. That's the way of thinking. Now, look, that's an extreme example. But my problem with believing something that isn't true is that you base your life decisions on that. And it's a dangerous place. So I began to look at this and I thought, okay, these are good reasons to believe that God does not lie. But what are some reasons that keep us from believing that God is not true? Let's look at John. It really tells us the answer to that. Chapter 8. <clears throat> For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. We have talked today about two natures. One cannot lie, and one always lies. So where do you think the conflict in your life comes from? Where do you think the struggle is going to happen? Where do you think the lies are going to come from? First of all, the devil is a liar, all right? What's he going to say? It's real simple. Things that you wrestle with, things that I wrestle with, things like the Bible really isn't true. That, that can't be true. Or... Heaven and hell doesn't exist. There's a stream of thought in Christianity today that says hell does not exist. I would rather go with what I read in God's word that I believe is true than what some preacher says about hell. All right? Because if you look at the whole of God, you want to form a theology on the fact that God loves us. God does love us. But you can't take half of God. You got to take all of God. And all of God is holy and just, loving and merciful. We don't always understand how that works, but it works if you're God. And he looks at every one of us and he wants all of us to be in heaven. There's no question. But he gives us that choice. Do you want to love me and spend eternity with me or you do not? So there's things that Satan lies about, all right? People, are you struggling with your sins really being forgiven? If you've asked God to forgive you, he is true and faithful. Now, this is really simple. The first lie that we read of in Genesis, all right, is the most used lie that you and I will struggle with, and that's this. Put it in this context. Did God really say? When you come down to Eve and Adam, here's the lie. Did God really say? Every day, you and I, in some form, are asking that question. Did God really say? That has little various tentacles that can come out of that. Things like, is God good? Is he really good? Does God really love me? Does God really care? 
Why are bad things happening? All these are the root of this thing, did God really say? This is why your Bible is so important, because you know what God says. And those promises are true, and you can stay with those. I will tell you this, Satan's single goal, simply, it started in the garden, is get you to doubt God. Because most of your spiritual problems come from doubting God. You're here today, and you're in the middle of something going on in your life. Something heartache, some painful, some difficult decisions, whatever. Guess what Satan's number one goal is? Get you to doubt. Why believe in God? Last time that didn't work out for you, did it? There's all sorts of threads of that that weave through our life. Listen, you can trust God. He does not lie. And the second one is, all right, unlike God's nature, we lie. Raise your hand if you lie. If you did not raise your hand, you just lied. Join the congregation. We're liars. We've lied. We lie. It's just a part of that flesh. All right? Now, we'll dress it up and call it a white lie. You know, Listen, we sometimes don't want all of the truth. And, and we, want, we want it coming truthful to us, but sometimes we want to protect whatever it is in us that we don't want to do that. Now, um, in our world today, there's this idea of relative truth, okay? Y'all know what that means? Truth is relative to your situation. It is the biggest bunch of garbage you'll ever hear, all right? Can I do a little demonstration? All right, hey, my friend Dylan's here. Dylan, come on up, man. You'll do this for me. Dylan, he is, huh? yeah, come on up, bud. Dylan, he is, uh, I've known Dylan for, golly, most of your life. I know your parents. Come on over. Um, Dylan's an actor. He's a great guy. Uh, just a great guy. Is he a good-looking guy? You're a good-looking guy. You should have clapped, Ash. He's your husband. She raised her hand when she lied. Oh, now we know. All right, come up here in the light. Now, let me just tell you what's relative, okay? All right, good-looking guy, right? So, all right, someone might say, Terry, you're a good-looking guy. All right, it's relative. If I'm standing next to Danny DeVito, you would say, Terry, you're a good-looking guy. If I'm standing next to Dylan Reuter, you'd say, you're not a good-looking guy. You see the point? It's all relative. You're a good-looking guy. Thank you. All right. Thank you, buddy. Give him a hand, man. Love you, buddy. It's all relative, okay? I could be standing next to a little toddler, and you'd say, Terry, you're a tall guy. I could be out here next to a building that's five stories, and you say, Terry, you're a short guy. Do you see what I'm saying? It's all relative to what you're comparing it to. And that's where we get into trouble. Because in relative truth, we're saying, all right, that all these things about God are relative. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. You'll hear that all the time today. Heck, can we say in our world today, this is a crazy world because everything is relative. All right. Let me tell you, we've gone through a year of a pandemic, all right? How many of you have been confused what's the right way to believe? You have this expert. They've got the pedigree, the doctorate. They got all that. This is the truth about COVID. You have this guy on this side saying, this is the truth about COVID. You have us in the middle grabbing our head, taking aspirin, thinking, what is the truth about COVID? 
all right? Even in our audience here today, you all have different ideas about COVID, okay? Some of you, I love you, I shake hands, I hug people, and some of you give me elbows, and that's fine, I respect that. But because of your belief about COVID, all right? Look it, it's a relative truth, isn't it? All right? What about politics? I'm not gonna go there, but I'm gonna just say, all right, if you hear this thread of thought on politics and you hear this thread, it's all a bunch of relative truth. There's no set clarity. How many are old enough to remember uh, Walter Cronkite? Do you remember watching his news? Does anybody remember what he said at the end? That's the way it is. And guess what? You could believe it. That's the way it was. It wasn't trying to shape your thinking. It was just giving you what had happened. I miss those days. <laughs> because, and I don't care what side of the spectrum you are. That is not my point. My point is you're smart enough to know your side and their side are always going to frame it in a way that wants to convince you that they have the truth. I read this. You know what relative truth is? Seriously. It's whack-a-mole. Have you ever played that game? It's, a, it's, a, it's an exhilarating game. And it's like truth pops up, you want to whack it. Truth pops up, and it's coming from all different places, and you want to whack it. That's what relative truth is today. All right, there's another game at an amusement park or a, a carnival where you take a sledgehammer, you hit this thing, and you ring the bell, right? It's a solid game, all right? It's a real game, all right? What you hit is real, and the ding is real. I want that kind of life, but I don't get that in the world because the father of lies, this is his playground. And you're going to live believing that stuff, and you're going to miss truth, all right? Uh, let me just say one more thing. All right, this is really good. This isn't original to me, but I read this, and I thought it was worth sharing. One of the tragic effects of relativism is the effect it has on language. In a culture where truth is esteemed as something objective and external to ourselves, that in that knowledge of that, we pursue and embrace and cherish and employ for the good of people. Language holds the honorable place of expressing and carrying and transmitting the precious cargo of truth. In fact, a person's use of language is assessed on the basis of whether it corresponds to the truth and the beauty of that reality that is expressed. Now, here's the clincher. This can give rise to every manner of spin. The goal of language is no longer communication of reality, but the manipulation of reality. That's powerful. I will say this. When you read the word of God, there's no manipulation of reality. It is true. It is true. It is true. It is God's nature. He cannot depart from that. He cannot be separate from that. And so if you're going to base your life on things that this world will tell you are truth, you're going to have this roller coaster life. All right? It's so important to know these things about God that are true. And even in our culture today, we're we're making decisions in our church based on things that the earth or the world is communicating as the right way. I'm not, oh, I'm not preaching at anybody here, but I'm just saying we have to be very careful 
to really re-examine our life and not to look at what God's word says and said, oh, that's for another time. That was for them or that's for other people. Me, I, can I tell you the craziest stuff? I had a lady come to me one time, okay? She was in a Bible study and she became attracted to the Bible study leader. All right, she's a married woman. She came to me and she said, Terry, I think the Holy Spirit's telling me it's okay to have an affair with this man. <laughs> she believed it, folks. She believed it. Now I could say, um, look, God's word really says no. But because she had formed a truth based upon a relative emotion, and we're doing that all the time. We're doing those things in our life, in our culture, especially with morality. We've decided that, oh, this is what I want, so I'll find a way for God to seemingly endorse that. Fight for the truth in your life. What is it that you're dealing with? Will you examine that in light of God's word? Will you hold it up and say, Lord, let your light show me. Is it right to do this? How many of you sin? Don't be a liar. <laughs> we all sin. We all fail in that. But what God wants you to do is to not continue to walk in that sin, but to walk in freedom. God wants you to have life. But if you're going to believe something that is contrary to the word and keep going into that, but you go to church, you love God, you pray and all that, you're fooling yourself. Please know my heart. I'm not trying to be critical but you might be fooling yourself and you wonder where that freedom and that joy and that life is and you're not experiencing it. And you're saying, God, your word isn't true because you said I could have the abundant life. His word is true. You do have the abundant life, but you have to walk in his truth. So there are a lot of ways we can hold this up, all right? Um, I don't know how personal I want to get, but Nancy, I'm going to get Many of you know I was married. I had a relationship with Brenda for 45 years, was married for 44. Many of those years were difficult. Many of those years we hated each other. We didn't want to be married, but we stayed married. I wish I could tell you why, but I knew this. I knew that I made a commitment to God. I made a commitment to my wife. And here it came down to a real simple solution for me, okay, and many of you I know have been divorced. This is not a judgment. Lord, many of you are my good friends, and I know the heartache that that's caused you. So I'm not speaking in this judgment, speaking in love. But I came to this place where literally God's word, and it was God's holy word that got a hold of my heart and my mind, and I began to live a different life as a husband, and it changed our marriage. And the reality came down to this, okay? It was simple for me. We were not going to leave each other, we could make each other miserable the rest of our life, and who knows, that might have been a possibility. But I came down to this decision. Happily married, miserably married. Which one would you choose? We had the conflicts. We had the argument. We had the yelling. We had everything. I'd had hammers thrown at me. I've had knives thrown at me. Yes. <laughs> I was fast back then. <laughs> I'll be dead today. <laughs> Oh, so all things work together for the good of them. God, through a terrible disease, 
that we deal with in this earth showed me his love and peace and grace throughout that whole time. And I hit a time that was very hard, and it was because I quit believing in the word of God. And I had about a three-month time where I was just sin-filled and, 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 and just angry, not at God, but just angry. And it was the worst. I'm not a depressed person, but I'm telling you, I was in a funk. All right? And God worked through that, and God was faithful. All right? And so I met Nancy. It was a miracle how it all happened. It's one of those neat Hallmark movie miracles. Yay, yay, yay. We go out on a first date. We talk for three and a half hours. I knew that night I really could spend the rest of my life with her. It took many, many weeks and months for her to come to that conclusion. <laughs> Play the violin. Anyway. I don't even know if she realizes this, okay? I think, well, she's communicated to me. She had a horrible, horrible thing happen in a previous marriage. All right? A husband that was not faithful, was not trustworthy, all sorts of stuff. I don't want to bring out all the bad stuff, but it was not good. All right? And so in her mind, she didn't want to have that kind of relationship again. And one of the things that registered in her, the truth, is that this guy stayed married for 44 years. He's not a quitter. On my end, I saw a woman who fought fiercely for a marriage with an adulterer, a betrayer, and week after week, month after month, tried to make it work until finally, finally, a thing happened and God just says, you're free. Now listen, what is the truth in that? The truth is that just in the, even in marriage, I don't know if you're here and you're struggling today. Maybe this one in my notes, but maybe God is saying, hey, find God's truth. Figure that out. If you're single, there's no judgment in that. All right? There's no judgment. If you've been divorced, there's no judgment. All right? I don't know if she knows. I probably would have been afraid to marry her if I thought she was a quitter in marriage. I know that sounds horrible to you. I'm sorry. But for me... I saw the benefit of fighting for and eventually getting to what marriage is about. And it was just heaven on earth. And so I believe that's possible with her. And so we could move forward. She believed it was possible and she could move forward. All right. So. What is that error in your life? What is that sin? Okay. I can list a lot of them. But you know in your heart, I don't have to. What is that area that you're struggling with? Where is that truth that you're believing that isn't God's truth, but this earth's, the devil's truth? Let God change that. This could be life-changing for you today. Life-changing. Life-changing. You're stuck and you need to be unstuck. It's get back to the truth. Can I tell you this? God's promises are true. What he wants for you is so amazing, so wonderful. All right? All things work together for the good. I have a beautiful wife. I never thought I'd be married again. I didn't think anybody would take me, <laughs> to tell you the truth. <laughs> hate to say that. I was comparing myself to Reuter. <laughs> I am so excited about my life with Nancy. Does it mean it's perfect? No. But I'm excited because God is doing something in her and in me that he couldn't have done any other way. Okay? There's a lot here 
I don't have time to go on it. I'm going to wrap it up, okay? I want to finish with this verse, okay? Sorry about that. Here it is. The idea is, who will you believe? Okay? Um, if you believe in God's word, I'm going to tell you right now what our world, our culture is going to say. They're going to call you narrow-minded. And I'm going to say thank you. Narrow is the way. Call me narrow-minded. Because that way leads to eternity. You can take the wide way. You can take the lies. You can take the half-truth. You can take all that. But my friends, take the narrow way. And be joy-filled that you've chosen God's truth because God does not lie. So I want to finish with this John. It's an amplified version. It says this. Jesus said to him, I am the only way to God. And the real truth and the real life no one comes to the Father but through me. The answer is Jesus. The answer will always be Jesus. That's God's design. Can we pray? Those that know me here know I do care deeply for the people of this church. They're not words. So many of you I love with all my heart. And so if you don't know me, I'm going to ask you to trust that. But I'm going to ask you out of love and compassion, if you're here and you've been struggling with an error in your life, that maybe God today shone a little light into your heart and showed you, hey, this is not my truth. This is not my way. And you just say today, Terry, as you close this service, would you pray for me that I could see completely the truth that God has, the promises he has, and that I could have the strength and courage to walk in that truth. Would you just raise your hand? Okay, thank you. There are many of us here, many of us here. I appreciate your kind honesty. It's important. It's important to take that step, not for my sake, but for, for your sake. God already knows your heart, so it's not that he doesn't know. So Lord, these wonderful people who have graciously heard this today, but they've allowed these words to speak to their heart. And I pray that, Lord, today they let their heart receive God's truth because your truth brings the life and the joy and the peace that they're not experiencing. Let them fight for truth. Let them leave here with a determination in their heart to fight for truth. Lord, do your beautiful work in us for you are truth and you never lie. And you've promised us, and I believe in your promises. And as your word said, yes and amen. Amen?